There are a lot of things that an older person might be able to learn from us as far as shortcuts using an app or something like that. And there are a lot of things, experiential things that a younger person might learn from somebody who's been doing it longer. Hi, I'm Bobby, a certified caregiving consultant and educator, caregiver support group leader, and author of two books on caregiving. And I'm her husband, Mike, and I'm a certified caregiver advocate and a certified music therapist. And this is Roger That, the podcast dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. Here we focus on the caregiver, offer some practical insights, and share some emotional support. And hopefully, maybe we'll share a laugh or two, because we all know if you want some good medicine, laughter is the best. And don't forget the wine, Mike. Come on, I never forget your wine. Well, it's almost time. <laughs> it's five o'clock somewhere right. wine, or is it wine o'clock there somewhere there you go <laughs> so you've try, been trying to reach out to millennials for a while um, trying to help them look at preparing to care for their loved ones absolutely I firmly believe that every adult needs to prepare to care that um you know, we expect Alzheimer's and the many other forms of dementia to triple in the next 10 to 15 years, which means um, not only will millennials and Gen Xers be looking at caring for their parents, but with early onset dementia, they could be caring for their spouses or their friends or their siblings. And they're, they're a caring group and they're an important demographic in our life, you know, just as, you know, the baby boomers were, were huge in their time, millennials and Gen Xers are just as big and important now. I am very grateful that we have Jennifer with us today who was definitely working with that age group and willing to talk to old timers like me. Um, <laughs> which brings us to today's guest. At age 32, her father was diagnosed with progressive supranuclear palsy. Aware of the alarming rate of millennials who are family caregivers and intimately familiar with the role, she decided to build awareness for millennial caregivers and shed light on the unique challenges they face and how to effectively manage the role with their own well-being and advancement. She's the founder of Caregiver Collective, a Facebook group to connect and support millennial caregivers that has attracted members from all over the world. She has written about caregiving issues for the Washington Post, Advanced Local Media, and Cosmopolitan. We are very pleased to welcome Jennifer Levin. Jennifer, thank you so much for being with us. Yes. Hi, thank you for having me. So um, let's start off by talking about your, your personal caregiving experience and what brought you into this world. Sure. Um, as you mentioned, I was about 32 years old when um, my father, who was a never sick, very independent guy, got diagnosed with progressive supranuclear palsy or PSP, which is um, in the Parkinsonian family, but it's actually more similar to ALS. And um, it affects the neurodegenerative disease that affects your muscles. And um, very quickly, it became this very steep learning curve of what is PSP? <laughs> What's going to happen? Right. And um, also, you know, what does this mean for how he lives and 
and remains independent. Um, my parents were divorced and I'm an only child. So really, as my dad was navigating this, I was the one doing it with him. And at a certain point, I was the one that took over um, his care. So at the time, I was living in Los Angeles. I'm a writer and I work in television. So I'd been living there for years and my family is in New York. And so, you know, I'm long distance trying to Google everything I can, make sure that he gets in to see the doctors he needs to. And then as the disease progressed, which was in hindsight rather quickly, finding um, a nursing home for him to live in. Before that, it was an assisted living facility. Um, you know, trying to find out what clinical trials are happening. Is he being diagnosed correctly? Um, you know, I was dealing with all of this across the country while working full time. And so trying to get back to New York as much as I could to be with him, to see things for myself, because things were far more scary when I would just hear it over the phone and not see with my own eyes what was going on. Right. Um, but also you know, be in my early 30s, trying to assert myself at work in a highly competitive field, <laughs> um, you know, you trying <laughs> to, yeah, trying to do all of the things that, you know, we're, we're setting ourselves up for early in life. And then on top of this, you know, this other thing comes up that just takes all priority, really, um, because it's the health of your family. So um, that is, that is basically, you know, how I found myself relating to other caregivers. Now, it's my understanding not only were you um, jet-setting, so to speak, back and forth between New York and Los Angeles, but you were also uh, going back and forth in German, uh, Germany and Europe? That is that is recent, but it's since my father oh, passed okay. away. Okay. Um, at, at the time, I barely thought about leaving the country. I traveled abroad many times. I had studied abroad a couple of times, you know, but at that point, point in my life when my father's health was not good, even if I felt like I could leave for a week maybe and go on a vacation or something like that, I had this thought in my mind that he got would be scared that I wouldn't come back. <laughs> um, and so, you know, every vacation I had was spent in New York at that time of my life. I know when, when we were taking care of my dad, uh, we went on vacation one time. Um, yeah. And it was traumatic trying to relax on vacation because mm -hmm. that's what you're supposed to do. Right. Um, knowing he was back and he was in um, at the VA hospital in respite care. So that also had to play on you also. Yeah. I think so. I think, you know, it just became where, you know, in television, I would sometimes have six months where the show only last 12 episodes. So I have the next six months off, so to speak, but usually you pick up a second job in that six months for another 12 episode show. And I found myself instead of being the type A personality that I'd always been of, you know, not wanting to get behind in my career and wanting to set myself apart, I would take that second six months to go be in New York. Um, and so vacation at that point, became a bit obsolete to me. Um, right. It was, you know, weekends away, um, which is lucky enough to have. But um, it was really about how do I manage keeping my career going and my own life going while also spending as much time back home as I can. Now, do you find in your communi regular communication with millennials, and I think you also mentioned Gen Xers, um, most of them 
that you are finding on the Facebook page and you're dealing with are in a situation similar to yours where they're doing it by themselves or are they assisting maybe another parent or a sibling? It is typically people who find themselves doing it alone. Um, that said, you know, there's so many people in this age demographic that are caregivers that it's hard to pinpoint a generalization because we do already have people caring for spouses. Um, we have situations where, you know, a young marriage, young children, the parent moves into the home or a grandparent mm -hmm. or a neighbor, even sometimes that they're close with. And so, you know, maybe their spouse takes on some of the caregiving responsibilities, maybe they don't. And even though you're in-house with other people, you're doing it on your own. Um, there's just so many variations. But I would say for this age group, it's a big surprise how many of them are doing it completely alone. Now, are, you had mentioned that um, you weren't as, to, to, for lack of a better word in my vocabulary, that you weren't as aggressive in your career moving forward because of taking care of your father. Um, it's my understanding that a lot of millennial caregivers really put themselves on hold, their goals and their life on hold, i.e. they don't go back to college, they'll finish college later on, hopefully um, putting their career uh, on the line or their advancement online. Do you find that to be the norm? I. I hesitate to say the norm because okay. a lot of people can't afford not to work, to be honest. Um, financially, they can't afford it when they're also responsible for somebody's care. Um, that said, I would say that what is the norm is that people's education and or employment is significantly impacted by caregiving um, because there are people that can't afford not to leave their jobs and be full-time caregivers because the level of caring is so intense that the person cannot be left alone at all during the day and they can't afford outside help. Um, so it really, I think, shakes down to like, you know, how does it work best for your finances depending on your needs? Um, I know that, you know, of people like me that are working while they're caregiving, I mean, the workplace repercussions on millennials are more significant than in any other generation you know, of and, people uh, being. Um, that brings up one, another one of my serious outreaches, which is more difficult now because of COVID, because more people are working from home. But I think it's absolutely critical that employers understand how many caregivers are in their workforce and what they can do that's not necessarily expensive to support those caregivers. Um, you know, having mm -hmm. a sub caregiver support group at lunchtime or doing lunch and learn um, mini conferences, uh, you know, workshops to um, provide support for caregivers. Um, you know, when other generations were having children and women were going to work for the first time, employers were putting daycare centers in in their buildings and it might be time for a day center for adults to support, you know, your age group who are in this ungodly position where they do have to work and their their time is being split between that and caregiving and raising their families all at the same time. They don't have time to 
go to a caregiver support group. They need to, you know, they go to work, they go home, they take care of their families, they take care of their, their loved one, they hopefully get some sleep and they do the same thing day after day. So we have to find better ways to support that age group. Absolutely. And I think, you know, like you mentioned, um, like some sort of day center for older adults, you know, nearby the workplace, like suggestions like this, you know, they exist. Like, uh, you know, Harvard Business School has done um, a lot of research papers on this, on how to better support millennials in employment, you know, that are caregivers actively already. And, you know, the statistics are there that millennials would choose a job that would help support their family life if it's allowed, you know, if it's, if it, if it one helps support them and two doesn't penalize them for it. Um, because so many people, you know, you get a phone call, somebody's in the hospital, you have to go. Yeah, that's just that, you know, like you kind of think about your job, the last thing in that moment. And, you know, legally in a lot of states, people can lose their jobs for making that sort of decision um, or can take paid leave that's offered to them. But when they do legally, their employer might demote them, <laughs> you know, it's, there's just such crazy things that exist in our societal structure that um, are antithetical to taking care of your family at home. And one of the people um, that we're and, speaking to about this issue said what what's going to make it change is when the CEOs and upper management find themselves with the same issues and then they will make those changes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but un absolutely. unfortunately, those folks have the money that they can hire somebody to take care of as opposed to somebody who is up and coming. But that's coming. true, but that's not always an option. This is true. That's true. And I, I mean, I think that with Corona right now, this is the perfect example that remote work is something that caregivers have been asking for for God knows how long. The opportunity that if you need to, you can take your laptop home and be physically present for somebody if they're home from a surgery or whatever that instance might be, where, you know, you can manage both tasks if you're able to be physically present at home. And employers have a nice track history of saying, sorry, not feasible. We don't know how to, you know, make it secure. We don't know this or that, or it'll disrupt workplace culture if you're not present. I mean, <laughs> we see how when it was necessary, those those problems disappeared within like three days. <laughs> Everybody well, in the United States is suddenly working from home. Well, not only that, but before, right, they had to put an infrastructure in place to handle all the telecommuting and so on and so forth. And oh my God, the impact had a bottom line. Well, when it became a necessity, right? Mm -hmm. And now they're finding, hey, you know what? We don't have to have all this office space anymore. And the right. technology is kind of running itself, not much different than when we had the big office spaces. So they're finding that their bottom line is increasing because they don't have a lot of the expenses of uh, large office spaces, utilities, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that they had before. So this mm -hmm. may be a blessing in disguise in some ways for the caregivers. Well, one thing, one word we're Absolutely. not hearing used with dementia and caregiving because we have Alzheimer's and we have Lewy body and we have all of the dementias. And then we have diseases like ALS and, and what uh, Jennifer's family was doing we have a worldwide pandemic in, in dementia care, all, you know, affecting 
families from the person with the, the illness to all of the family members and their employment. And what we're seeing with this pandemic, as we're talking about now, some of those structures will help with the dementia pandemic. And with right. more and more people, even young onset, like and, and Jennifer and, and her listeners and followers are aware of that too. It's affecting them. Jennifer, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is I, I mentioned I have a caregiver support group. And one of the things that I'm hearing from millennial and Gen X caregivers is they like to be in caregiver support groups and in online in chat rooms with people in their own age group. And I certainly understand that. Mm-hmm. But there's so much that's similar in the, in the actual caregiving itself um, is one of the reasons why I mm-hmm. would really try to work to reach out to that age group because we have some information that I know can be helpful. And one of the things I started, I heard when I first started this was people in that age group aren't interested. They think it's 20, 30 years away, and, and they don't even want to hear about it. And you know, and I know that's not true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say that people that dismiss it <laughs> that quickly haven't done even the most minimal research of how many millennials are currently caregiving in the United States, let alone anticipated to in the next five years. And that was pre-COVID, you know, that was before everything got accelerated Mm -hmm. like this. Um, I would say that, yeah, I I mean, I think there's benefits to both um, types of groups that you're talking about, intergenerational and in the case of millennials and and Gen X, um, you know, support within, you know, their own demographic. Um, Because of this, I think that what you're saying is absolutely true that, you know, caregiving at a certain point is caregiving, you know, like a lot of the emotions are the same, the logistics, um, things like this. And there are a lot of things that an older person might be able to learn from us as far as shortcuts, (laughs) um, using an app or something like that. And there are a lot of things, you know, experiential things that a younger person might learn from somebody who's been doing it longer. Um, I do fully understand the millennial or Gen Xer who also wants to connect with somebody of their own age. Um, Just because I hear it all the time and I lived it myself is that we are experiencing something decades earlier that you know as a testament mm-hmm. to what you were talking about and people anticipate and because of that most people going through this are not very vocal I'd say that now there's way more dialogue around this than there was when I started my group like five years ago nobody talks about millennial caregivers it's why my group has grown so large is because you google it and it's the first thing that comes up because we've been talking about it for so long at this point um or I've been trying to. Um, And I think that, you know, when you're not vocal, you think nobody else is going through this. So you're definitely not going to share this experience with other people because it makes you feel, you know, ostracized from people in your own peer group. Um, You might, you know, think that if my boss finds out I'm low man on the totem pole, I'm going to be the first to go if they think that I have a priority outside of work. Um, A lot of times, you know, if you don't have a child, you could be turned to as well. It's okay if you work extra hours because you don't have a family to go home to. And it's like, well, I do. It just doesn't look like theirs. Um, and so, um, you know, I hear a lot of people say that they go to support groups like at the VA or at their local hospital and they walk in and they are 30 years younger than everybody else in that room. 
And that, you know, not to say that they can't relate on certain ways, but it adds an extra layer of feeling like an outlier that they weren't looking for. You know, they were looking for a place to go feel accepted. And like, finally, I have an outlet where other people understand me and they show up and they feel like, oh, well, I'm the one person in the room that everyone's looking at now or thinking that I couldn't understand what, you know, how hard it is because I'm so young and, and, um, just also they found new ways to feel misunderstood so i understand both both sides of the coin i think both are necessary so jennifer um you mentioned your group so let's mm -hmm. take a moment and let's let's talk about caregiver collective okay sure. it is a, <laughs> um, it's 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 a resource that's available to our listeners it's a resource that's available to the the millennials so let's let's talk about that Sure. Um, it started, I, as I mentioned, I'm a writer, so I wrote about my experience as a millennial caregiver, um, basically when I figured out that I was a millennial caregiver. Um, and I saw the statistic and I thought, why is nobody talking about this? Um, because statistically, I know other people going through it. So why do I feel alone? And um, I wrote that piece for Cosmopolitan, looking to find um, young women in a place they wouldn't expect to read such a piece. And if they relate to it, you know, then then that's great. And um, as I was working on that piece, I mentioned to the editor, you know, there's just no resources out there for somebody my age going through this. It's all very much tailored to people significantly older than I am. And she said, well, if there's nothing, why don't you create it? <laughs> and I thought, she's right. <laughs> um, and so at that point, I created Caregiver Collective, which is a Facebook group, and it is a private support page for millennials and Gen Xers who are family care caregivers. And um, it's a place just for people to connect, to share resources. You know, we find ourselves learning so many things during this process. And then, you know, other people feel like they're reinventing the wheel. So why aren't we just sharing all of our knowledge um, and have a place to go to, to kind of expose ourselves, so to speak. Like I mentioned, so many people are reticent to admit even to themselves a lot of times with their caregivers, because it means a shift in their, in their reality and in their families. And this is a place where people can come identify themselves as that sometimes for the first time mm -hmm. and connect with other people that are like them. Um, and I mean, it's just grown so much. There are people from all over the world that have joined. And as it's grown, I've offered more resources to the group. So I host webinars with caregiving experts of different fields, like elder law, um, relationship therapists who present a webinar to the group tailored to millennials. Um, I offer Zoom support chats that have been monthly. And then with COVID, I bumped up to weekly because it was just everyone really needed to kind of find each other in that right. moment. Um, and now, it's grown. It's, it's super cool. Now, this, this is specifically not for the professional nurses hired caregivers, correct? This is for the family that's caregivers. That's correct. And um, often when a member of an organization tries to join because I keep the group very private, I redirect them to a broader group that we have for organizations um, because it's a primarily a support group. And I know how difficult this is to vent, you know, what you're going through, particularly when you're dealing with the dignity of your family. And so 
I am very, very protective over who has access to other people's feelings and emotions and the security of the space. And also they can feel that they can, they can share without it going out to the entire world. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, how does one become a member of the caregiver care caregiver (laughs) collective? Um, it's just a Facebook private page. So you just find us. It's facebook.com backslash groups backslash caregiver collective. And if you just put it in the search of Facebook, it'll pop right up. Um, and it's, you just fill out a brief questionnaire just so I make sure that I'm weeding out anyone inappropriate for the group that I think, um, meaning, you know, people that are looking to farm information from us and things like that or advertise. Um, and then you join and then, you know, we have members that are very vocal and active on the page and we have others that, you know, are just consumers. They just read other people's stories. And I've come to learn that that's a form of support in itself. Absolutely. Right. Having to not be vulnerable, but also be in a position where you can learn from people who are living the same challenges as you are is extremely valuable. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I think so. Now, we, we spoke mostly about millennials. Um, we'd almost hear almost nothing about Gen Xers. I, I want you to know that I, I feel kind of protective of, of millennials in dealing with the baby boomers that I do in, in people, um, even the younger baby boomers, who th- those millennials don't get it. These Those millennials, you know, they have no understanding. And, you know, my... My response is, do not perpetuate that because these are adults Mm -hmm. who are dealing with families and dealing with jobs and dealing with stress, and um, we need to be supporting them as much as we support anyone else. And quite frankly, one of the reasons that I started doing this is I want my kids to understand what it's going to be like when my time comes because we're all good until we're not and things can change mm-hmm. in a moment so the the more that we can educate people adults of all ages the better off for all of us and i can't tell you how much i appreciate the work that you're doing and i also wanted to mention it came oh, to me you. i don't know how old i was i think i was an early teenager when it suddenly dawned on me that no matter how old you are your friends and companions are in that same great that same age group with you which only makes sense mm-hmm. for what for your close group uh, we just tend to i love to be with young people i think it helps keep me a little bit younger um, but when it comes to sharing mm-hmm. intimate things like that i certainly understand where you're coming from mm-hmm. thank you no i think um something that millennials have come up with a lot is this stigma that we're lazy, um, you know, entitled. It's like throw every just kind of nasty name at it. And, you know, that's us. And um, it's unbelievable, you know, this this one stereotype of like living off of our parents. Um, we don't want to get a real job. We're all entrepreneurs, which means like we're taking our parents' money and investing it in faulty things and drinking all the time. I don't even know. And, and, um, and well, I want to be a millennial. It, <laughs> if that's the case, I want to well, be a millennial. Well, wouldn't we all if that were the truth? I mean... <laughs> 
you look at the statistics of people that live with their parents and you have to ask yourself why. And I mean, the amount of millennials that are living with their parents, one, because they are financing their parents because their parents are severely in debt or, um, or, you know, just financially insolvent and, or two, they're caregivers and they are living with the person that they care for. I mean, it's like, it's, it's a nice fun thing to say like, oh, you lazy person, you're living with your mom and dad, but you know, that's hardly anyone's first choice many times. Um, And so, you know, you have to look and why is this happening? And a nice, chunk of that proportion is people that are caregiving for their family and that's the reason well when i, so, when um, I was thank you for helping to yeah. stop that stigma <laughs> and i think it was part of you know growing up in, in it's part of the baby boomer generation and hearing my grandparents and people of their generation talking about how easy we had it you know they went through the depression mm-hmm. in world war ii and uh we were Filling up the schools and filling up the hospitals and being born and, you know, not having any of the worries that they had. And I think it's a generational thing that some old curmudgeons just have to find fault with the younger people. But I find (laughs) intelligent, gracious, um, busy people, caring people in all generations. So uh, I I just wanted to say that because we really do appreciate you and the work that you're doing. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Certainly appreciate and uh, applaud you for your local and your global advocacy. Um, you know, it, it, it's needed no matter where it's, it's needed. And certainly applaud you for what you're doing and for the support that you give the, the caregivers in your age group. Thank you. We did do a, a show on older orphans, uh, people who are divorced, um, people whose parents have passed on who don't have children, who need to plan for what's going to happen when they need care. Is that an issue Mm -hmm. that um, you've seen come up in your working with millennials and Gen Xers? Not so much that I can easily, usually I can think of one person off the top of my head in my group. Um, But no, I would say that as far as managing our own care later, that is something that comes up every once in a while of this thought of like, you know, I haven't had a chance to have kids because I'm taking care of my parents. And so I can't date and, you know, whatever that looks like. And so who's going to take care of me? Um, I would say that that has come up, although it is usually the kind of thing those are, I mean, those are anxiety inducing questions with no answer. And so I find that, an interesting observation with this generation is we're very um, problem solving oriented, which I think is why people are so active in the group to share information. Um, And it's a very positive group. Um, There's not a lot of venting without silver linings I've noticed in my generation. Um, And so this type of question I, I have seen come up of like, who's going to do it for me. But then it, it kind of just moves on from that point of like, well, it's down the line and well, I have to deal with this first. And, and um, it's not harped on for too well, long. It, I imagine within people's own minds, it probably it, is, but it uh, comes so, into uh, play. It's hard for in me your to generation in getting your legal paperwork involved in, you know, if something should happen to you, do you have somebody have a power of attorney? Are you, 
looking into long-term care insurance because the younger you are when you get it, the least expensive. That type of stuff, this has okay. come up. The, the logistics come up. It's the emotional okay. end of it that I think is the, like, the part that's kind of glossed over. But, um, well, because a lot of times our own parents don't have these things in place and right. there are conversations of how to do that. And the advice that's always given is like, while you're doing it for your parent, get it done for yourself too. <laughs> um, and so in that way, and I also think that we're seeing how, you know, what a grind it is to do it when it's in a heated moment and to have that done in advance kind of takes the weight off. Um, so I'd say on the logistical end, we're kind of okay. okay. It's, it's the emotional yeah. end that people are grappling with. Now, I also <laughs> imagine that, that the millennial and Gen Xers are more open about the LGBT community and they're, we did a spot on them and, you know, what it's like um, because they often are abandoned by their families and, and those issues come up. I don't know if you've talked about that mm -hmm. in your group, um, but, you know, we do have a podcast about that. And um, it, as we know, people are people, whether they're LGBT or, or not, you're okay until you're not okay and hopefully they have a safe place where they can go and um, talk about these issues similar to what you're having in your group. Mm -hmm. um, I will say that this comes up in the sense of, um, for me, in how I've been interacting with the group and the things I read on this demographic caregiving, it really comes up when it comes to things like paid family leave policies because the LGBTQ group um, is more likely to care for chosen family and meaning, you know, like a friend right. or a neighbor. And, and that is often not covered. I mean, a lot of states don't even cover caregiving for siblings. Right. So they're definitely not caregiving for, you know, covering caregiving for chosen family. Um, New Jersey, for instance, is, is like interestingly proactive in, in who they cover as far as caregiving paid leave policies. But um, that is something that, you know, as you mentioned, people who are ostracized from their family, um, you know, so turning to friends to be caregivers, um, which I've also seen truthfully in the veteran community, not just LGBTQ, but among vets, um, having childhood friends care for them when they come home. Um, that's just something I've noticed. But, um, you know, I see it most often noted when it comes to these types of legal policies that they're not included and um, how unrealistic that is truthfully, because as you said, people are people and you're caring for someone that you have blood with or you don't, and it shouldn't matter. You know, people need exactly. care um, from people that love them. So, um, so that's where I've seen that come up is in those types of legal questions. Well, Jennifer, I've enjoyed talking to you and I'm sure our, our listeners got a lot out of your talk. Um, hopefully, a lot of them will find the Caregiver Collective as a resource and reach out. But I want to thank you for being on the show. You've been an absolute delight to talk to. Thank you. So have both of you. And I appreciate you just, you know, um, bringing awareness to this topic and, um, and allowing me to talk about the group because the more people that hear about it, the stronger we grow and um, the more people are comfortable talking about caregiving at this kind of 
strangely delicate time in our lives. So I truly yes. appreciate it. No problem. Again, thank you very, very much. Now, one of the things that um, Jennifer talked about that stood out to me that people are reluctant to admit, to admit that they're caregivers, especially, you know, in, in the workforce, you know, it might have an impact on projects that they're giving or whether or not they receive a promotion. And we need to overcome that. Yes. One of the things that she said that I loved and um, when we were talking about the LGBT community and it's chosen yes. family. And I love that term, the term chosen family. And that is now going to be part of my vocabulary because it's so poignant. And, and specific and, and real because yes. um, a lot of families are fractured. And, and you build oh, your yeah. own family. So chosen family is a great term. Yes, it is. You can find more information about Jennifer and Caregiver Collective on our show website at rogerthat.show. This has been Roger That. I'm Bobby. And I'm Mike. And we are dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. So please subscribe to the show, go to iTunes, post a review, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question or issue you'd like for us to address, please post on the Roger That Facebook page. To find out more about us, head over to rogerthat.show. That's Roger, R-O-D-G-E-R, that.show. Missing Link is a proud partner of Hearing Charities of America, a nonprofit organization that supports those who are deaf or hard of hearing. You can find out more about HCA on our website or go to hearingcharities.org. Roger That is produced by Missing Link, a media podcast company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content.